Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So I've been wrestling over the past several, uh, several weeks of what the Lord is speaking to us as a congregation that we are to be a refuge of grace. And a part of being a refuge of grace in this new season the Lord is leading us into is that we are to be his modern-day priest. All of every one of us are to actually be a part of his body in our communities. So last week, Pastor Jordan shared with us of what that priesting can look like for each one of us, that we hold this core belief of the priesthood of all believers. Every one of us have been gifted by the Lord and have been given his full measure of power to live in his kingdom wherever it is that he's placed us. The week before that, Pastor Gary shared with us of what it looks like for a church, a group of people together, to walk into a new season and what this season looks like. The week before that, I encouraged you that this is to be a season where we are a refuge of grace. And so I've been asking the Lord, well, what does a refuge of grace look like? I don't know a lot about refuges. I know about the Lord's grace. I don't know about a refuge of grace. And so I have been seeking as your pastor direction from the Lord. What are the steps that we take? We don't just run. We don't just Google it. We don't just say, what are these other churches doing? We wait and we hear from the Lord. The Lord has declared that we're to be a refuge of grace. And now we hear from him those steps that we take forward in moving forward. This is what I know, though. We must be priests to carry grace into our community. If the Lord has declared that we are to be a refuge of grace, and we are his body in this community, we have full access to his presence, which is what the Old Testament priests did. We then carry his presence of grace into this community. This is what I want you to know. I believe with every ounce of my being that the Lord has placed or planted you exactly where you are so that you can be a vessel or an instrument of grace in the community or in the places that he has placed you for his glory and his honor. You're in the family that you're in because that family needs to discover a refuge of grace in you. You're in the workplace that you're in. You're in the community that you're in. You live in the house that you're in. I believe you shop where you shop because everywhere we go, there are people that need God's grace. And you are just the one that God has selected and invited into relationship with him so that you can carry that grace with you everywhere we go, everywhere that you go. Every one of us encounter people every single day that need God's grace. So are we going to be the people in a refuge of grace 
who take this grace after worshiping and celebrating what God is doing and surrendering to him, are we going to be the people that take this grace into this community? Or are we going to sit back and relax and rejoice in ourselves? God forbid that that be the case. Because I believe that God is bringing a spiritual renewal to this area where we are at, that if we allow that grace to get out of this refuge of grace, will for eternity change those that we encounter. But this is what we have to know. What does a refuge of grace look like? I believe the first step for us is in Matthew chapter 5. I believe here as Jesus has begun his preaching ministry, Jesus has called his disciples. He's gone, well, Jesus went through the temptations. He's called his disciples. The scriptures tell us that he worked countless miracles. I want you to stay in Matthew 5, but it's interesting here in the book of Luke how Luke actually records this before Jesus gets to this part. This is what Luke says. Jesus went down with his disciples and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coast of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him. And he, listen, and he, this is Jesus, he healed these people of their diseases. That's what Jesus did. He healed them. Those that were troubled by evil spirits were cured And the people all tried to touch Jesus because power was coming from him. And he was healing all that he encountered. Listen, I am not a crazy person. But I, that could be debatable, right? Um, But I believe wholeheartedly that the work that Jesus started when he began his ministry did not end at his death and his ascension. Because Jesus told his disciples that they and those that followed would do even greater things than he did when he was here in the flesh. And I believe that when we read in the scriptures that there were people that were set free from their evil spirits, that didn't end when Jesus died and he ascended. Jesus expected that work to continue. Jesus expected us as his priests to take grace to these people that are bound by the enemy's snares. And God has called us to make sure in this community that we see the captive set free. Well, how does that work? When a refuge of grace takes God's grace into the community and we claim their healing before they even know that it is possible. This is who God desires for us to be. And this is the power that God has called us to claim in Jesus' name for today. I've heard countless stories of people standing outside of the Berkowitz Chapel that were waiting to get in. And they couldn't because it was so packed. Because there they wanted to be prayed for. Because they knew that there they could meet the presence of God. And there God would bring healing to them spiritually and physically. Listen, God didn't expect that to remain in the Berkowitz Chapel when they built this one. He expects it to be as much in this place as it was in that place. And God expects us to care this for him into this community that has a whole spiritually and physically that only he can heal. Amen? This is a refuge of grace. 
And this refuge of grace that this community needs around us begins here with us. And I believe that this is what Jesus was talking about when he began his sermon in Matthew chapter 5. He says, now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then in verse 6, there's a change in what Jesus is saying. In verse 6, it's almost, if you catch it, and you read in the fullness, and you hear what the Spirit is saying to us, it's almost as if Jesus goes in a completely different direction in verse 6. Because in verse 6, this is what Jesus says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Whew, I love that verse. I love that verse. Because therein is a promise for I believe White Chapel today that can spur us on as a refuge of grace in 2022. Jesus goes on in verse 7 and continuing these Beatitudes, the, the blessed verses. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I've wrestled with these verses. I've preached on these verses. I've read books about these verses. I've heard people preach series and series of sermons about each one of these blessed verses. People much, much smarter than I will ever be. I've been praying, as I said, about us as a refuge of grace and what that actually looks like. And the Lord keeps bringing me back to these verses. I've studied these verses. I've prayed over these verses. I've read lots of stuff about these verses. What is it, God, that you want to say to us about a refuge of grace that's found here when you began your ministry by preaching to the multitudes and then you go on telling of what this kingdom living actually looks like? Here at the beginning, in the first three of these blessed verses, in verse 3, 4, and 5, I want you to see the word that Jesus actually used. He says in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. In verse 4, he says it's those who mourn. In verse 5, it's the meek. You see, there is something that's lacking in those verses. Or there is a need that is demonstrated in each one of those verses. Three, four, and five. Jesus says it's the poor in spirit, the mourning, and the meek. Over and over, we see in those words there that there is a need that needs to be filled. And then in the last part of those verses, Jesus gives the promise. And then we get to verse 6, and the shift begins to turn. Jesus, I believe, is saying, if you have any needs, you're poor in spirit, you're mourning, you're meek, whatever these needs are, find the answer in verse 6. And in verse 6, Jesus says, excuse me, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Ooh, there is the promise. 
If these needs that Jesus is talking about in the first three can be pushed in relationship with him, as we hear from him, if we turn to him, Jesus is saying it will develop in us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the last part is the promise that they will be filled. And then watch the turn in the last three verses. In the last three of these blessed verses or the Beatitudes, it's then blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. Do you see the progress that Jesus is making with the Beatitudes here? He's saying if there's a need and you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. And then that hunger and thirst for righteousness will produce inside of you mercy, pure in heart, and peacemakers. And then at the end, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, which he gave the answer for in the last three, because then you will discover the kingdom of heaven. This is who I believe we have to become as a refuge of grace, a people who give God our needs, allow our relationship with him to develop inside of us a hunger and thirst for righteousness, living in the promise that each one of us will be filled. Have you ever been hungry? I mean, haven't eaten all day hungry. It changes everything about you, doesn't it? When your stomach starts growling, and they've given this a phrase now. It's called hangry, where you take the word hungry, and you take the word angry, and you combine them because your hunger that you have not satisfied leads you to becoming angry. Lord, I pray that the hunger the Lord develops in us That hunger and thirst for righteousness never goes unfilled and we become an angry people. Because that can happen. We see it in the physical and I tell you it is also true, it's also true in the spiritual realm. That whenever we allow a hunger and thirst, a hole or a void inside of us spiritually to go unfilled, it leads us to becoming a bunch of angry people. God, please let that never happen to us. Please let never, never, never let the people of Whitechapel Church ever have a hunger and thirst for righteousness that goes unfilled. We have to know, as a body of believers, united together in a refuge of grace, how we fill this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hungry people and thirsty people are searching for something. They're searching for this hunger to be filled. They're searching for this thirst to be quenched. And it alters what we do and how we act because what we are looking for is that food and water that can quench our bodies. The same is true in the spiritual. So one of my favorite things, about a year and a half ago, I altered how I eat. Before that, though, one of my favorite things to eat at was a Chinese buffet. Any of you ever? Yeah, there's a few of you. There's a few of you. My favorite Chinese buffet is in Sykeston, Missouri. It's called China Buffet. Do you see the rows and rows and rows of the buffet? And back in that left corner, there's a, that sign, you can't see it. That says Mongolian Grill. Oh, my goodness. 
There you get all of the stuff that you want and you put it in a bowl and put a little bit of sauce on it and you take it to this guy and he puts it on this great big huge round thing and he cooks it for you and then you can get as much as you want in that. And then when we moved to Crystal River, I found one in Brooksville. This is called Buffet City. Now it's not good, it's not as good as, as, as China City. It's not, I mean, uh, China Buffet. It's not as good, but it's pretty good. That little bitty spot in the back on the left, that's their Mongolian grill, and it's, it's okay. They've got about half as many rows. My brother-in-law and my sister lived in Crystal River while we lived there, and they moved back to Missouri. And just before my brother-in-law left, he, said, he called and he asked, do you mind if we go to Buffet City one more time together? And so we went to Buffet. It's, it's that good. It's that good. I love, used to love, a Chinese buffet because there I could be filled with a lot of food and as much as I wanted. And when I would go to either one, I know that I was going to one of these two places, I would usually skip lunch so that I make sure that I was extra hungry whenever I got there so I could actually enjoy the buffet. Now, some of you are probably right now thinking, Boy, he's talking about food. Some of you are thinking he's talking about Chinese food, and that turned me off, and that's not hungry. But some of you may have been thinking, well, I love this food, or I love that food, and it's getting about lunchtime. And just this conversation about food may have stirred inside of you a little bit of a hunger. And you may be looking right now at your watch thinking, I hope that he doesn't go a whole lot longer so that I can actually get to my next lunch spot. Some of you, for the rest of our time together here this morning, all you're going to think about is food. You know why? Because I've been talking about food. That is physical food. I believe in a refuge of grace. We have to talk about a hunger and thirst for righteousness that stirs inside of us a spiritual hunger that can never be quenched until we press into Jesus and hear directly from the throne room. I believe that we as priests who go into this community, that take grace into this community, have to become first filled in ourselves so that when we go, we are poured out and then that pushes us back into the presence of Jesus and that hunger inside of us is, I've got to get away from everything around here. I've got to get away from this physical food. Not the actual physical food, but the physical needs the enemy wants to bring into our lives. I've got to block all of that because that is food that is not going to satisfy me. That is food that is going to lead me further away. But I instead have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I'm going to separate myself from that that the enemy is trying to lure me into. And I'm going to push, push in to the throne room to hear directly from the throne of God. We have to make sure that we bring our brokenness to Jesus and there find the satisfaction for the hunger and thirst that we actually have and allow that to develop inside of us an even greater hunger for Jesus. So I want to give you just a little bit of my journey in the physical realm over the past year and a half. So a year and a half ago, I was about 100 pounds bigger than I actually am right now. I'd show you pictures and get into all that. I don't want to get into all that. I just want to share you, share with you. I made a shift in how I eat. And I gave up some things that I used to eat that I don't eat any longer. And in that journey, I began to eat foods that I used to snub my nose at. 
one of which now is cauliflower. Yeah, just go with me. I, just go with me on this. I don't eat pizza crust anymore. I eat a cauliflower pizza crust. I don't eat Doritos anymore. I eat cauliflower chips. Now, I know by the faces that you're making right now and the noises that you're making right now, you want to go back to where I said I'm not crazy and you want to reevaluate that and you're thinking I really am crazy right now. What I discovered, though, the foods that I were actually eating put a block for my hunger for real foods. You've heard that? And some of the processed foods that I was putting in my body made me not have a taste for natural fruits and vegetables. And so the only vegetable that I used to eat was green beans. And now I want all of the vegetables because they taste so good to me now. Even cauliflower and broccoli and asparagus, but I draw the line at Brussels sprouts. These all taste excellent to me now. Do you know why? I gave up the junk that altered my taste buds. This is true in the spiritual realm. Whenever we are consuming the junk that the enemy wants to give us to entertain us, and to occupy our mind, it causes, us to, to, it causes us to be pushed further and further away from the Lord. And we have to make certain that we separate ourselves from the enemy, and we then, over a period of time, have this greater hunger and thirst for righteousness that God actually desired for us to have in the beginning. You think, oh, that's just a good illustration, or that's just an illustration that you tried to fit into this sermon. Well, let me tell you how that happened in Genesis chapter 3 and in Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve were born, crafted by God, in relationship, perfect relationship with God. Inside of them was built this hunger and thirst for righteousness that was filled by God when he was with them in the garden. But the enemy tempted and lured them away with a fake hunger and thirst for what God said, I don't want you to go there. Adam and Eve ate of the temptation from the enemy, and there then they were separated from God. And that eating from the enemy's temptation pushed them away from God. And when God came and he was looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, there then Adam and Eve did not run directly to God, but we see them hiding from God. You see, when you eat the fake food from the enemy spiritually, you think that you're being filled. But the truth is, that emptiness inside of you is just getting filled with the junk of the enemy. Over time, that junk pushes you further and further from God so that you no longer have a taste or a hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
And you have to, after conviction by the Holy Spirit, you have to sever yourself from the junk and the temptation that the enemy is trying to get you to consume and then turn and walk towards God and there then find your quench for the hunger and thirst that God has placed inside of you. A hunger indicates that there is an absence of something in the body that needs to fill you up. I used to always turn to some type of a soft drink to quench my thirst. I thought that that soft drink was quenching my thirst. I gave up drinking soft drinks and now I drink water. One of the girls about a month ago had a Dr. Pepper in the refrigerator. I went to the refrigerator and I thought, oh man, I have not had a 10, 2, and 4 drink in a long time. And just this one Dr. Pepper is going to help quench my thirst. It tasted horrible. And that used to be one of the Diet Dr. Pepper, Dr. Pepper, root beer, you name it, Diet Coke. I drank all of that stuff. And I thought it was quenching my thirst. But it wasn't. And now that I'm just drinking water and coffee, because that's just water poured over beans, right? So that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. All I wanted after drinking that Dr. Pepper or drinking a few sips of that Dr. Pepper was water to get the taste off of my mouth. And I thought that that Dr. Pepper was quenching my thirst. And now it tastes like mud. You see, you have a hunger and you have a thirst inside of you. Hear me that only God can quench. And we have to turn away from the junk of the enemy and sever ourselves from his traps so that it pushes us deeper and deeper in him. For there we will find the desires to be filled. The promise of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 is that we will be filled. If it is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you know one of the beauties of having kids? You know, you know what happens when you have kids? Everybody says, oh, they look just like mom. Or they, oh, they look just like dad. They look just like this. Or they look just like that. Or, you know, you, you hear all of that all of the time. Whenever people see kids, they start talking about who the kid actually looks like. You know, one of the great things about us, this is Lucy, uh, when she was growing up, there she's in a high chair on the left side eating a pickle. On the right, she's coloring. She's about three years old in this one, and then I think about a year and a year and a half on the one on the left. If you go back and look at a lot of Melissa's photos, well, she's almost a spitting image of some of those photos. And then, not just in Lucy, but, but here's Abby. This is one of my favorite photos of Abby. She has always just been this bundle of joy when it comes to food. <laughs> and that was one of the photos where Lucy's just, and I, or where Abby was just like, man, give me some more food. If you look at mine and Melissa's photos when we were young, there's a lot of them that they're almost the spitting image of us. And then as they grow up, here's Lucy and Abby when, when we were in Crystal River, and then here's Lucy and Abby just about a month ago when we did Christmas photos out here. The beauty of having kids is you get to look back at how they look just like you. And the beauty of having a hunger and thirst for righteousness is that you start to look more and more like God. 
And then as you sever yourself from what you thought was quenching that hunger and thirst inside of you, and it feels a little awkward at first, and then you start moving towards God and this hunger and thirst you start to see filled over and over, before you know it, you look more and more like God. And you know the beauty of Jesus' message here that began in Matthew 5 and it goes on for several chapters? He tells us how to look just like him. He tells us what it's like, and he tells us different ways that we can actually be filled with our hunger and our thirst for righteousness. I hope and I pray today that there is a newfound hunger and thirst for righteousness in every single one of us that will allow us to sit with the Lord and only operate after he has spoken to us, then we carry his grace into this community and stir inside this community a hunger and thirst for righteousness and help them discover that the fake stuff from the enemy is not filling that void inside every one of them. So a hunger and thirst for righteousness produces through each one of us a group of people that looks more and more like Jesus. And more and more every day we begin to act just like him. Ephesians 5 verse 1 and 2. This is what Paul says to a group of people that have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Paul says, follow God's example. How is it that we begin to develop this hunger and thirst for righteousness? How is it that we begin to find more of Christ so that this hunger and thirst can be filled inside of each one of us? Paul says, just follow God's example. Follow God when he came and he put on flesh and he lived here on the earth for three, just over three decades. Follow God's example. That's what we have to do. Follow God's example. The way that we begin to follow God's example is to get in his word and let it first start here so then it can start being lived out in the communities that God has placed us in. We have to follow God's example. And when we begin to follow God's example, here's what you will discover. Grace then becomes natural. It's not something that we have to start to work hard or we have to keep working hard at. Now, we have to be intentional about it. But as we follow God's example, grace then just starts to be lived out. And then before you know it, you've got grace upon grace upon grace upon grace everywhere you go. And then this refuge of grace that God has called us to begins to permeate all the different areas where he has placed every single one of us. Paul says, follow God's example. The type of life, this type of grace-filled life, this type of life that is filled with a hunger and thirst for righteousness can only happen by being his and being close to him and making certain that as a part of his family, we are living this out every single day. If you still have your Bibles open, if you would turn over with me to Matthew chapter 6, I want to give you one verse that I believe is actually key here. I'll put it up on the screen here in just a minute, um, but I want you just to look at this right quick. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It's, it's one that you may be able to quote. 
It's one that you may have learned if you were a part of a school like Warner, or you may have been a part of community groups, or you may have been a part of Sunday school, or you may have heard sermons actually preached on this. But here, I believe, is a key part of developing inside of us a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus, in this sermon, says this is what you must do. But seek first, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom, and what? And what? And his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you as well. You see, Jesus is preaching about a whole lot of stuff here. A ton of stuff that actually turned these people's kingdoms upside down. He taught them how to pray. He taught them about giving to the needy. He taught them about divorce, murder, oaths, having an eye for an eye, loving your enemies. He taught them about fasting. He taught them about storing up your treasures in heaven. He taught that they should not worry. He taught about judging. He taught about asking and seeking and knocking. He talked about trees and fruits. He went on and on and on in his teaching. But here Jesus says, listen, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here's what we have to seek. Two things here. Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. So I ask you this morning, what is it that you are seeking? When you wake up in the morning and you begin your day and you start to write down your to-do list of things that must be accomplished in your day, is Matthew 6.33 lived out in your to-do list or in your list of accomplishments that you have to take care of in that day? When you wake up and you're spending time with your family throughout the day, or you're spending time with neighbors, or you're in the grocery store, or you're shopping, or if you're watching TV, or if you're on the internet, or you're driving, whatever your day actually looks like, would we say if we looked at your day that, yep, you're living out Matthew 6.33 and seeking first two things, the kingdom of God and his righteousness? We've got to seek his kingdom. We have to seek his righteousness so that in us we would truly be a refuge of grace. But I want to give you a word of caution. Just one caution here. Adrian, would you click slide 12 for me, please? This is the caution that every single one of us have to remember. The enemy's going to tempt you with false hungers. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to say, hey, I want to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But you know what the enemy's going to do? He's going to say, hey, I want you to go over to the Chinese buffet and I want you to fill some, eat some of that food. That's not going to really fill the hunger that's inside of you. The enemy's going to say, hey, remember when you used to do this or when you used to go there or this used to be a part of your life? This is the hunger that I want you to go out and seek. You have to know the voice of the enemy and you have to be able to distinguish between the enemy's voice and God's voice. Because the enemy is going to tempt you with false hungers. And you're going to think, oh, when I wake up and, and you're, you're having some problems, let's say you're having problems in your marriage. And all of a sudden you're having problems in your marriage and the enemy's going to come to you and he's going to say, hey, listen, you've got these problems in your marriage. You're not being fulfilled in your marriage or this is happening or that's happening and all of this problems and you just need to walk away from that and you need to go over here and be with this other people. Listen, that is a false hunger from the enemy. And you have to know that. You have to distinguish that. You have to make sure that you know the hungers that the enemy is leading you into. Or let's say you're having problems with your finances. 
You wake up and you just can't figure out how you're fine. You've got less money than you actually need to be able to get through the month. And you think, oh, I just don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. And you know what? The, one of the things that the enemy can tempt you with? Why don't you just take this money that's not yours, that's sitting over here, that may be at your work? Or why don't you just go down to the bank? They've got a whole lot of money at the bank. You know, banks are cheating us. They're taking all these funds from us. They're charging us. All. Just go get what, what they've got and then just take it to be your own. Listen, that's a small humorous way of a false hunger that the enemy wants to bring into your life. But what if when you were having problems with your kids or you're having problems in your marriage or you're having problems in your finances or you're having problems in a church, what if first you said, listen, I'm not going to fall prey to these false hungers the enemy wants to bring into my life, but instead I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness after sitting with him and making sure that I am only being filled with that which he desires for me to be filled with. The amazing promise in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, for every single one of us, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. Adrian, I'm going to go through these next slides. There's five things on these, then we'll just go one by one if you'll just click those for me. The first one here, this is how you develop inside of you a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I've told you you need to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to tell you some ways that you can develop that hunger and thirst for righteousness that helps you identify these false, we're going to go through these very fast, Helps you identify these false hungers that the enemy wants to bring in your life. First, you've got to draw near to God in quiet time with him. James tells us if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. The way that you get away from the false hunger of the enemy is to draw near to God. Because there God is going to fill us. The promise that Jesus gave in Matthew 5, 6 was if you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled well, when we turn away from the enemy and we walk towards God, we draw near to him, then he's going to draw near to us. That is an amazing promise for us. God will draw near to you. He will leave his throne and make his presence right where you are at. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. The way that you, the first step, I believe, in having a hunger and thirst for righteousness is you making that intentional decision to draw near to God. And so for some of us this morning, the first thing we need to do whenever we are finished here with the message and we start to worship, you need to step out from where you're at and you need to come and kneel or you need to make sure if kneeling where you're at or standing where you're at, whatever that looks like for you, you need to make sure that at the end of this service you are drawing near to God. And then wait for him to draw near to you. That's a promise. That's a promise that we've been given. The second thing for us in each one of these, these steps in developing a hunger and thirst for righteousness, you've got to grab your Bible and read it. You've got to grab your Bible and you, got to, you have to read it. There's no way around developing a hunger and thirst for righteousness outside of the word of God. Some of you have been beating your head up against the proverbial wall saying, I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would speak to me when he has spoken to you. It's here. You've got to get in the Bible. You've got to read it. This is how you learn God's voice. So then when you're not in the Bible, you start to hear his voice for immediate moments wherever you're at. 
You've got to make the choice to draw near to God. That's how you're, you take your first step in developing a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you've got to get in your Bible and you have to read it. If you don't know what it is you're reading or you don't like the translation you're reading, there are hundreds of translations. I will give you some of my favorites. The New International is what I preach out of. The New English Translation is what I use to study. I also use the Complete Jewish Bible because I love, love, love seeing our Jewish brothers and sisters give us some of their interpretation of what it means for them. There's lots and lots and lots of, uh, of, of translations just Pick one and get in it. If you don't know where to start, start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. you got to get in your Bible. The third thing for us, you have to draw near to God. You have to grab your Bible and read it. And then the third thing is you have to ask God to speak to you. Jesus said in the middle of the book of John, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. If you want to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, you have to know God's voice. You may be today just be in step one. That's great. That's the first step in developing a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You are on your way to being filled. You may just have started reading your Bible. Let me say this. One of the things that I love this year is I chose the daily audio Bible, and I let somebody else read the Bible to me each day. I love, I love having somebody read the Bible over me every single day. So if you're not reading it, which I also read it, um, but if you're not reading it, just download the Daily Audio Bible or go to the Daily Audio Bible online and let somebody else read it over you. These are the steps that we have to take to develop a hunger and thirst for righteousness. But ask God to speak to you and then just listen for his voice. Just wait. Just wait. He'll speak to you. He'll speak to you in so many different ways. The Bible tells us that the heavens declare the glories of God. Go out in the nighttime and look up at the sky. I've been standing in our backyard looking at the beauty of what God created and heard the voice of God speak. The fourth thing that you have to do to develop a hunger and thirst for righteousness is you have to guard your hungers and your thirst. Don't let the enemy tempt you. Don't let him draw you back into where you used to be because you know what? You are not who you used to be. And so what you used to eat cannot satisfy today's hungers and thirst. That's the same with me in my physical eating journey. The junk that I used to eat or the Dr. Peppers that I used to drink, it doesn't satisfy me where I am today in 2022. So I eat different and I drink things that are different. So don't go back to your old hungers and your old thirst. Because when you do, you no longer have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. You've eaten some junk. I'll give you a perfect example. Mine and Melissa's anniversary is tomorrow. So we went out last night. We had a nice dinner. At the end of the dinner, the waitress asked if we would like some dessert. I said, no, I'm not eating sugar. Melissa said, sure. You know, she was going to order a cheesecake. Cheesecake used to be one of my favorite things. I no longer have a desire to eat any cheesecake. I can sit, I'm at the place now where I can sit at the table and I can let her enjoy cheesecake. And I don't even have a hunger for cheesecake any longer because I've made this intentional shift. Well, the waitress... Um, didn't ask what we wanted, knew it was our anniversary, and so she brought out this, what was it? I don't know what it was. It was something, but it had some ice cream in it that had like a little coffee flavor. Well, Melissa doesn't like that. And we felt out of obligation, because they brought it to us for free, we couldn't just leave it on the table, right? We have to eat it. So I decided I would eat a couple little bites of that. You know what happened to me? When I got home, 
I was so sick. I was so sick, like physically sick, because I ate junk that I haven't had in a year and a half. When you are guarding your hungers and thirst, when you go back to how you used to be, it will make you sick that that's where you're at. You've got to guard your hungers and your thirst. This is what, this is how you develop a hunger and thirst for, life, for righteousness. So the last thing, the last thing that I want to leave you with is you have to live out of right relationship with God and others. I believe that's what righteousness is. It's being in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. You can't be in wrong relationship with others and right relationship with God. It doesn't happen that way. Jesus even told us, if we were to keep going in his word, Jesus even told us, if you come into the house to pray and you have a problem with your brother or your sister, you go fix that first before you come to the throne. You have to live out of right relationship with God and others. I want to leave this with you this week. This is a lot. I almost took these five things and made them five sermons over the next five weeks. And I thought, I just want to give them to you now so that you can begin looking at these and begin digesting these. And then we're going to talk about these a lot in the weeks ahead. What's important, I know, Whitechapel Church, is that we develop a hunger and thirst for righteousness so that we can be a refuge of grace. If there's no hunger and there's no thirst for righteousness, we'll never be the people that God desires for us to be. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week.